a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you joined the program today. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, this little uh, blue-on-blue legal litigation. Yeah, involving uh, one of the two candidates vying to become the uh, Democrats' pick for governor in Florida, uh, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who earlier this year filed a lawsuit challenging the uh, federal prohibition on medical marijuana users being able to lawfully purchase a firearm at retail. You know, if you've gone to a gun store and you've purchased a gun at any point over the last, I don't know, however many years this has been on the Form 4473, as long as I can remember, uh, you have to attest that you are not an unlawful user of drugs. And the Form 4473 specifically says that even if you live in a state where medical marijuana use has been legalized, you possess a medical marijuana card, or you live in a state in which recreational uh, marijuana use has been legalized, you are still considered under federal law to be an unlawful user of drugs, and you cannot legally purchase a firearm. So Nikki Freed, the Democratic Agriculture Commissioner in Florida, as I mentioned, also running to become the Democrats' candidate for governor, filed a lawsuit earlier this year challenging that provision. Um, that isn't new. We actually covered that at the time. What What is new is that Nikki Freed is now using the Bruin decision uh, in her quest to overturn that federal provision. CBS News reporting that uh, Freed's lawsuit uh, includes plaintiffs who are medical marijuana patients and want to have guns, as well as a plaintiff who is a gun owner and wants to participate in the state's medical cannabis program. Uh, the lawsuit contends that the restrictions are unconstitutional. Lawsuit says, quote, the defendants can offer no rational, the defendants, by the way, being the Biden administration, can offer no rational explanation for why federal law would expressly protect programs that essentially turn otherwise law-abiding citizens into criminals with no self-control. Such a contradictory position would fall far outside of any comparable historical regulation in the area. The uh, lawsuit contends in part, or centers in part, rather, on a federal form that must be completed by people seeking to purchase guns. That would be the Form 4473. And after the Bruin decision in which the Supreme Court said, okay, listen, this two-step process where first you figure out if the Second Amendment is implicated, and then you figure out what level of scrutiny should be applied to the government's gun control rule, that's got to go. We didn't, we didn't say that's what the test was in Heller or McDonald. Instead, we laid out a test that involves looking at the text of the Second Amendment first, uh, and then looking at the history and the tradition of the right to keep and bear arms, particularly as it relates to at the time of ratification of the Second Amendment and at the time of the ratification of the 14th Amendment. And the onus is on the federal government. It's not on the plaintiffs to prove that the federal government is violating their constitutional right to keep their arms. The onus is on the government, whether we're talking about a federal gun control law or a state gun control law. It's up to the government to prove that this restriction fits within the text of the Second Amendment and the historical understanding and tradition of how the right to keep and bear arms has been exercised in this country. So what's interesting about this case, well, there are a couple of interesting things about this case. First, there is the political ramifications here, right? Nikki Freed uh, going up against Charlie Crist uh, for the Democratic uh, gubernatorial nomination in Florida. Charlie Crist, you know, as you well know, former Republican uh, now a Democrat. He's been all over on both sides of every issue, depending on you know what party he's aligned with at the time. But he is the favorite for the Democrats. 
So I, I think part of what Nikki Fried is doing here is simply to try to raise her profile. I, I honestly, I have to say, I, I don't know what the audience for this lawsuit is. I, I, listen, I'm certainly in favor of it, but if I lived in Florida, I wouldn't vote for Nikki Fried over Ron DeSantis. It's not going to happen. Uh, so I don't know how many Republicans or independents or, or Democrats are going to look at what Nikki Fried is doing here and say, yeah, Nikki, that's the right thing to do. I mean, Democrats are going to be upset because she's trying to overturn a gun control provision. Uh, many Republicans who are pro-gun may say, OK, but you're still in favor of all kinds of, quote unquote, reasonable restrictions on the right to keep and bear arms. So you're still a no go in terms of my vote. And frankly, there are also probably a lot of Republicans who are fine with the idea of criminalizing uh, gun ownership for those who use marijuana. So, again, I, I don't know what kind of political benefit Nikki Fried is going to derive here. I certainly think that uh, in the general election, Governor Ron DeSantis remains the prohibitive favorite in November. Uh, although I have to say, if I were a Democrat in Florida and I had to choose between Charlie Crist and Nikki Fried, it's kind of like choosing between having to eat, uh, you know, calf liver and mm, trying to think of one of the other least favorite foods of mine, uh, rutabaga. Uh, you know, I don't really like either one, but um, I do think this is a good lawsuit. I wonder, however, why Nikki Fried didn't try to pursue this before an election year, right? Because she's not running for re-election as ag commissioner. So regardless of what happens with Nikki Fried's gubernatorial bid, she's not going to be in a position to continue this litigation uh, as of early next year. She's going to be out of office, at least out of the Agriculture Commission's office, I suspect, out of office entirely. So then it's going to be up to the next ad commissioner to, to continue this fight. Will they do so? If not, this case is dead in the water. Uh, if they do, again, that could be kind of interesting, particularly if a Republican wins election in November, as I anticipate will happen. Uh, then they're going to have a difficult decision. to make. Do they uh, proceed with this lawsuit or do they just let it die? But the questions raised in Freed's lawsuit are real. They are significant. Um, going back to the CBS News report, they quote the uh, Form 4473. Uh, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug or any other controlled substance? Warning, the use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law, regardless of whether it has been legalized or decriminalized for medical or recreational purposes in the state where you reside. Uh, Freed's attorneys say that um, this is not in line with the historic traditions regulating the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, in an amended filing that was submitted to the court just a couple of days ago, they say, quote, quite simply, there is no historical tradition of denying individuals their Second Amendment rights based solely or, or even partially on the use of marijuana. In fact, historical evidence shows that marijuana was considered a legitimate and legal form of medicine in England, America, and other Western countries through the mid-19th and early 20th centuries. According to the complaint, evidence shows that medical marijuana was used as early as 5,000 years ago, and it reached its, quote, medical heyday in the West between 1840 and 1900. Doctors began prescribing marijuana around 1842, but it was outlawed in 1941. This, uh, so again, making the argument based on the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment that the current federal law does not comport with the text, history, 
or tradition of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment doesn't say anything about the right of the people to keep mirror arms shall not be infringed unless they uh, smoke the devil's lettuce, right? doesn't say that. It's a right of the people, plain and simple. Now, the Supreme Court has said, again, that there can be some regulations, but not if they impact the general right of the public. No, I should say if they impact, not if they infringe on uh, the general right of the public to both keep a firearm in the home or to carry a gun in public for the purposes of self-defense. There's another argument, though, that uh, Free's lawsuit raises. Um, there's something called the Rohrbacher Far Amendment that uh, bars Justice Department officials from using any of the agency's funds to prevent sales with medical marijuana programs from, quote, implementing state laws that authorize the use, distribution, possession, or cultivation of medical marijuana. CBS News reports previous court decisions have found that that law provides or prohibits federal officials rather from spending money to prosecute people who engage in conduct permitted by state medical marijuana laws. Uh, this lawsuit accuses the Biden administration of defying that law, saying, quote, the defendant's enforcement of the challenged sections and challenged regulations against medical marijuana patients who comply with state law punishes them for what is legally permitted and protected conduct. So, again, I'm not rooting for Nikki Freed to uh, uh, succeed politically, but I, I am rooting for her to succeed here in her legal fight. Uh, but, I, I, again, I don't I, I just it's an open question as to whether or not this case is even going to be around a year from now. Um, but this is a real issue. You know, listen, I, I have talked. I think I've talked about this on the program before. It's, sometimes it's hard to keep track of whether I say something out of my mouth or whether I write it down at BarryAndArms.com. But, you know, listen. Six years ago, Memorial Day weekend. So it's been a little bit more than six years now. My wife went to the ER uh, thinking that she was having a heart attack. She was not, thankfully. But when they did an x-ray, they found a mass in one of her lungs. Uh, a couple months later, we learned that the mass was cancer. And since then, my wife has been in the fight of her life. And she is holding her own. Uh, she has not actually had to have any treatment for the past over a year and a half now. The tumors have not grown, which is fantastic. They haven't disappeared, which is not great, but she's still here. And that's the most important thing. But there have been times over the past six years where my wife has been just laid out because of the treatment that she's received. She actually, and she'll tell you this, um, she actually has never felt bad because of the cancer. She has felt bad because of the treatment that she's received. You know, when you go through chemotherapy and she's gone through multiple rounds of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, it does some pretty nasty things to your body. It basically, <laughs> the idea behind chemotherapy, as her oncologist explained to, to us very early on, chemotherapy kills the body, but hopefully it kills the cancer first. And she has been left with a lot of side effects that will, frankly, never go away. Um, but I can remember the weeks at a time where she was so nauseous that she couldn't eat. And even if she could, she didn't have the appetite to do so. One of the things that medical marijuana patients say is that 
using cannabis uh, reduces their nausea, improves their appetite. Would I like my wife to be able to legally partake in marijuana to alleviate the symptoms of her chemotherapy or the immunotherapy that she is likely going to have to receive at some point in the future? Yeah, I would. I would really like her to be able to do that without worrying about her committing a federal felony and going to prison. And there are, again, hundreds of thousands of cancer patients out there in this country, just cancer patients alone, who right now are having to make a choice between their their medical treatment and their health and their personal safety. And I don't think that's right. I've actually had people tell me, hey, you know, listen, just, 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 you know, have her, I mean, she just smokes something. What's going to happen? <laughs> Who's going to find out? I mean, I've had people tell me that. People in the 2A community have told me that. I don't want to do that. I don't think that's right. I don't think that people should have to worry about defying the law in order to put food in their stomach while they are laid low from chemotherapy. And, you know, again, that, that, that we could also talk about PTSD and other uh, uh, afflictions that uh, cannabis is used to, uh, to help treat or alleviate some of those symptoms. The bottom line, in my mind, uh, is that the, frankly, and I'll be honest with you, too. This is something that ideally Congress would step up and change. In my perfect world, this would have already been changed by a vote, by a bipartisan vote in Congress. Unfortunately, I think we're in a position where, again, Republicans don't want to do anything to appear soft on drugs. Democrats don't want to do anything to appear soft on guns. And so both sides have a built in excuse not to take action. And so now I think it is up to the courts to step in. And this argument raised by Freed's attorneys that this federal prohibition does not comport with neither with the text, history, or tradition of the right to keep and bear arms, I think is a good one. I just wish that I didn't have a feeling that this was nothing at, at, at its heart, uh, nothing more than a political stunt on the part of Nikki Freed. If it wasn't, again, I think she would have done this a couple of years earlier so that the case could have been resolved before her time in office was through. But we will keep our eyes on this case as it uh, percolates in the lower courts, and uh, we will certainly let you know. I'll be very curious again to see if this emerges as an issue, and if, if not the governor's race, then in the race for agriculture commissioner of Florida. You would expect that this would be one of the questions that will be asked to the candidates. Will you continue with this lawsuit? Uh, right now, I haven't actually seen that question posed to either candidate. Maybe we'll have to pose that question ourselves. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of Baltimore, Maryland, where a 19-year-old who is accused of shooting five people back in May was uh, out on probation at the time the shooting allegedly took place. Well, we know the shooting took place at the time he allegedly committed the shooting and had already faced a litany of charges in his uh, young life. Uh, 19-year-old Jarrell Speaks now faces multiple counts of attempted murder, assault, and weapons violations. Police say that he wounded four men and a teenager uh, in West Baltimore, uh, again, back in May. 
He is currently being held in the Central Booking and Intake Center in downtown Baltimore. Uh, according to the Baltimore Sun, Speaks is set for a trial in Baltimore tomorrow on a separate round of gun charges. He also has a trial in Anne Arundel County, which is not far outside of Baltimore, Maryland, on assault and reckless endangerment charges. That trial is scheduled to take place in September. He uh, failed to show up for his first trial date back in April. Last year, Speaks pleaded guilty to an assault charge in Baltimore City. He received probation. A year before that, in 2020, he was accused of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, attempted murder, carjacking, assault, reckless endangerment, and weapons violations. But last year, all of those charges were moved from adult court to juvenile court because Sparks was 17 at the time. The Baltimore Sun spoke to defense attorney Jeremy Eldridge, who's also a former city prosecutor. And he says, quote, prosecutors are ultimately to blame. When you're talking about lenient sentences that have been imposed for repeat violent offenders, it's the prosecutor that charges the case. It's the prosecutor that decides what sentence is appropriate to recommend to the court. In this case, that would be Marilyn Mosby, the Baltimore City State's Attorney, who, of course, is facing legal problems of her own. And the dysfunctional system in Baltimore, you know, we wrote about this at Bearing Arms, uh, I think it was last week. There was a report that came out also detailing problems in Marilyn Mosby's office. In 2018, the city prosecutor's office or the the Baltimore City State's Attorney's Office told the Baltimore police, hey, listen, we want you to trace, do DNA testing, fingerprints on every gun that, that is recovered by the Baltimore Police Department. Every gun. Top priority. The Baltimore Police Department said, well, you know, if you do that, we have a finite number of technicians. We have a finite number of hours in the day. And if you do that, if you say that, you know, fingerprinting and doing DNA testing on every farm that's recovered is your top priority. That means that all of a sudden now, you know, testing evidence for homicides, sexual assaults, carjackings, armed robberies are not your highest priority. Are you sure you want to do this? And the Baltimore City State's Attorney's Office said, yep. That's exactly what we want to do. What happened was this huge backlog in testing. And by the way, of all of the gun possession cases during that time period, 6% of them went to trial. Just 6%. And half of those cases ended up being dismissed or did not result in a conviction. Meanwhile, you had, again, months-long delays in processing evidence of homicides, of sexual assaults, which meant that the perpetrators of those crimes were still out on the street, able to commit more offenses because of the Baltimore City attorneys, uh, Baltimore City State's attorneys' uh, gun-centric focus, right? We don't, I don't care about the actual offender. We care about the gun. The gun's the most important thing, not the person. So even if you had somebody in you know, West Baltimore who was carrying illegally, didn't have not, did not have a permit to carry, but wasn't a violent criminal, was carrying because they live in West Baltimore. They want to be able to protect themselves. That was considered a bigger priority than testing evidence from the scene of a carjacking, which is absurd and insane. But that's how things are done in Baltimore, which is why we have stories like this one involving Jarrell Speaks, because even when the tests are done, mistakes are still being made on the part of the uh, prosecutors there in Baltimore City. 
Today's Armed Citizen story from Escambia County, Florida, where a uh, sheriff there says a uh, homeowner will, quote, absolutely not face charges after using a, uh, quote, AK-47 style firearm in self-defense. I, I Honestly, I don't know why it would make a difference that he used an AK-47 style rifle in self-defense. Again, you've got the right to keep and bear arms. That, that headline was from Fox News, by the way. But I, I guess there are some gun control advocates out there who say, well, you know, you can use a 22 uh, revolver in self-defense, but no way, no, how should you use one of those quote-unquote battlefield weapons of war, right? Escambia County Sheriff Chip Simmons said that the uh, Florida homeowner started shooting for his own protection to get suspected home invaders out of his home and to protect himself. This happened back on July the 7th. Three men, including one of them, at least one who was armed with a gun, uh, entered a home in Escambia County uh, just before midnight. The homeowner was there when the three men entered the house, pulled out a handgun from his waistband, but then he dropped the firearm. So he had a gun on him, but he dropped it. So he ran and he grabbed his rifle uh, while one of the suspects picked up the victim's handgun. It was a, a bit of a shootout. The suspects eventually fled the home, the homeowner uninjured, thankfully. Authorities were able to identify two of the suspects. They discovered a third man soon after with a non-fatal gunshot wound to the head. Uh, Sheriff Simmons said, quote, we got a report of a third individual that had wounded the head not long after the home invasion. Stories that he's given us as to how he got shot in the head are inconsistent at best. In short, we don't believe him. So what we're looking at is to determine whether this is the third person that was involved. Um, the uh, two suspects that were identified, 18-year-old uh, Antonio Dwayne Dean Jr., 20-year-old Torrance Leanders Hackworth, uh, Hackworth arrested on July the 8th. Dean, according to Fox, has a, a quote, bevy of active warrants including carjacking, aggravated assaults with a firearm, robbery with a firearm, and domestic violence battery. Sheriff Simmons, again, said the homeowner will, quote, absolutely not face charges, saying that he was protecting himself, and in Florida, in Escambia County, you can protect yourself. Theoretically, you can do that anywhere in the country, because, you know, you do have the right to keep and bear arms, but uh, some jurisdictions, even after the Supreme Court issued its decision in Bruin, are willfully ignoring what the court and the Constitution has to say. Uh, all right, today's uh, uh, a good deed of the day. From Johnson City, Tennessee. Not a story you're going to see in the national news, but just one of those stories that, you know, makes a difference in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A uh, young woman who was on her way home from work in Johnson City, Tennessee, on uh, the 4th of July, helped to put out a fire that she saw as she was driving down the road. She, uh, she did stop to take a picture of it first before she uh, started to take it out. So there you can see uh, the blaze just starting on the side of the house. Uh, believed that fireworks were involved uh, in that uh, incident. Uh, somebody tried to you know put some fireworks in the trash can while they were still smoldering. And uh, then it ignited. Uh, Kylie Povlich. Uh, not Katie Pavlich, but Kylie Povlich is the uh, young woman in question who was driving home. Uh, she said, I was driving up the street. I saw the side of the house was on fire. I was like, oh, my gosh, is that a bonfire? What is that? And then I realized it was the entire side of the house. So uh, Povlich said she ran to get her father, called 911. She also knocked on the door of the home, let the person inside know, hey, your house is on fire. Uh, and then she started looking for a way to extinguish the flame. She said, I, I found like a little flower pot. And there was a spigot right beside where the fire was happening. So we started putting the fire out. So there was no hose. So she's basically opening up the spigot, putting the flower pot underneath the, uh, the the spigot there, and then just, you know, doing the little uh, bucket brigade. Uh, that worked. 
apparently. The fire department uh, arrived less than five minutes later, but um, at that point, it looked like the blaze was uh, already under control, thankfully. Uh, nobody injured. Minor damage to the home, which is uh, hugely important. And uh, Kylie Povlich uh, gets to walk around with the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that uh, she helped out a neighbor in need. So, in the right place, at the right time, but unable to do the right thing, Kylie Povlich, thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition. But don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout today to get you caught up on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about because it is a supercharged time for our Second Amendment rights. Court cases filed every day. Briefs going back and forth. Anti-gun lawmakers like uh, Gavin Newsom trying to uh, infringe on our right to keep arms on what seems like an hourly basis. We got it all covered for you at the website. And if you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP subscriber as well. Just go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. It's our way of saying thank you for showing your support for the independent pro-Second Amendment reporting we do at Barry and Arms. We're going to give you exclusive content, new stories, and analysis you won't get anywhere else. Because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.